This is OPI Talk, the voice of the business products industry. Hello and welcome to this episode of OPI Talk. I'm your host, Heike Diekmann, and my guest today is Diana Steinbach, Vice President of International Services at Global Cleaning Association, ISSA. Good morning, Diana, and thank you for joining me for a chat about the incredible rise and the importance of cleaning in these challenging COVID-19 times. Thank you for having me. Diana, for the benefit of our readers who are not familiar with yourself, or indeed ISSA, could you just give me a really brief overview of the organization and your own background? Sure. So ISSA is the Worldwide Cleaning Industry Association, uh, which has been around for nearly 100 years. Uh, we have more than 9,000 corporate members across more than 100 countries around the world. And our focus is really um, on the uh, commercial and institutional cleaning industry. And um, we have members who are manufacturers, distributors, wholesalers, dealers, cleaning companies, in-house decision makers who run in-house departments of housekeeping or cleaning. Uh, and I am the international vice president for the organization. It's probably fair to say that cleaning has never been high on the agenda then right now. As such, we at OPI have asked a selection of our readership from all channels and across the world about what's uppermost in their minds from a cleaning perspective. The first question is a fairly generic one. What do you believe have been and continue to be the core issues from an end user perspective? What are they asking for? So we need to get to the basics. And that's the beautiful thing is that the basics are very effective right now. Um, so we're currently cleaning to remove or deactivate the virus that causes the current pandemic. So the, the virus is uh, called SARS-CoV-2, um, and that is a human coronavirus. Uh, and it, it creates or causes a disease that is COVID-19. Um, now, we're actually, while it may not seem like it, quite lucky because this is an enveloped virus, which means that it can be easily deactivated if we do our jobs correctly. And an envelope virus has an outer wrapping. And when the virus leaves the infected cell, it covers itself with this membrane. And normally that helps it stay unrecognized by our immune system. So when the envelope is um, destroyed, then the virus is deactivated and it cannot infect the next host. So um, basic surface cleaning and disinfecting. Um, it can have quite a high success rate of removing that virus, that envelope around the virus or deactivating the virus. In fact, um, we have some studies that have shown that uh, basic surface cleaning and disinfecting, as well as good basic hand hygiene, when it's done properly, can reduce the viral load on a surface by more than 60%, and probability of infection can be reduced by as much as 80%. Um, and this is just basic cleaning and disinfecting um, can have that kind of a result on um, viruses such as this in terms of being able to be that effective. Um, and what this means is that if we increase our frequencies or we are strategically employing cleaning and disinfecting, um, you can greatly reduce the risk of cross-contamination and infection. Um, but the one thing that we have identified is that we need to make sure that we do not have overkill disinfecting or what I call cleaning theater. And that is when people are doing cleaning or spraying a lot of disinfectant um, it, just for show or to prove a point. 
Um, and so we need to just make sure that we understand the basics can be very effective with this virus. So what are facilities looking for or what should they be looking for from a cleaning perspective right now to avoid the the kind of the pitfalls that you just referred to? Sure. Right now, facilities honestly are looking for a way to provide answers to their stakeholders about how they're going to protect them against this pandemic. And whether they paid attention to cleaning before or not, they now have to. But many people in organizations, in many of the businesses um, that you may be working with, are being asked to create protocols for protection and possible decontamination if there's a case in their building, as well as reopening strategies if they're, if they're starting to open back up after shutdowns. Yet a lot of these professionals have no experience in this before. Um, so they might have prepared for a fire, protect, a fire plan or an emergency plan, but, but they have no experience in protecting people from a virus. Um, so we have very qualified facilities um, individuals who are really scratching their heads um, and they're trying to create something under a lot of pressure right now because businesses really need to get back open. Um, so they're really looking for someone who can give them confidence that they can come up with the right answers to bring back to their management so that they can reopen or that they can have confidence that they're protecting the people in their buildings. Um, and, and in this realm of cleaning, that turns into how do we clean and disinfect but there's also a lot of engineered controls. So how do we distance people? What kind of signage do we put up so that we remind occupants of what they should be doing? Um, what extra training is needed for the cleaning staff as well as for um, the occupants or the regular employees of that building? Um, and then what training do the people need who actually are creating these protocols so that they can feel confident that they're making the right choices? Because everyone wants to do the right thing right now. And there's just so much out there and there's been a lot of confusion in many countries where you get different things from different sources. Um, and, and so it just makes even the most confident individual feel a little bit uncertain as to whether they're making the right choices. And you can be that voice of reason for them to really help them understand what they need to do. So there's uh, definitely clarification and education needed around the terms cleaning, sanitizing, disinfecting. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, the difference between sanitizing, cleaning and disinfecting is one of the number one things that we see is an issue uh, right now. And even with companies that have been cleaning for a long time because, because they were cleaning. And, um, or they were doing food service sanitization and so forth. And there's a difference. Um, so cleaning is the removal of soil, dirt, and debris from a surface. And you need to do that before you can do any other steps. Um, sanitizing is actually going to um, reduce the risk, but not um, at a high enough level to disinfect. Um, or to, uh, to deactivate a virus, um, or to kill a bacteria. Um, so, so people really need to understand the difference because, first of all, you need cleaning before you can disinfect. Uh, you also need to know that sanitizing is not the same as disinfecting. And so we actually have some tip sheets that walk people through the differences. And it's especially important when you're looking at product claims, because we have seen many well-meaning companies that have studies that prove that their product can help sanitize. And that would be a log reduction of things on the surface of three. 
Um, but you need a log reduction of five or six in order to be disinfecting based on what your country's regulations are. Um, so sanitizing and disinfecting are not the same and we can't treat them the same if you want to have enough confidence that you're really deactivating as much as you can. So hand sanitizing, you just referred to that. What is actually the difference between hand sanitizing and hand washing in terms of the benefits that you achieve? So again, because this is an envelope virus, we're lucky enough that simple mechanical motion of scrubbing and a surfactant or some sort of a, of a substance that can lift things off of the surface, which is you know, what you can find in hand soap, can help deactivate or remove the virus from people's hands. Um, and that's why you see so much about hand washing. Um, and uh, one thing I'll note is that uh, for anyone who is a member of ISSA, we have a great hand hygiene recording that we did on World Hand Hygiene Day, which happened to be during the pandemic this year. Uh, available at issa.com. Um, and that goes into much more detail about the science behind this, which is useful for people who are selling hand hygiene products as a reminder of what you need to know to answer these basic questions of your customers. But um, when it comes down to the fundamentals, hand washing is sufficient, but if you do not have the ability to have soap and water nearby, then you do want to have something like a hand sanitizer. Um, and the hand sanitizer is going to have various... Um, uh, different raw materials in there that can help um, deactivate the virus. Um, there's different levels of um, alcohol or ethanol that you might find in a product. And your individual country will have a regulation for um, what level of content is needed in order for it to be most effective. Um, so you want to look for that because it can vary between countries and it can vary between the, um, the raw ingredients in the hand sanitizer. So, so you can look for things like that. But if you have one or the other, it's sufficient. You do not need to do both. Um, you just need to kind of think wisely about it because the key about um, a human coronavirus is that it will, if it enters a hole, <laughs> that's, that's the basic way we teach the children cover the holes. because, And that's what uh, one of our experts, Gavin McGregor Skinner, talks about quite frequently, is um, if you can keep your hands out of your face, out of your mouth, your nose, your eyes, you can greatly reduce the risk of contamination. So of course, if you can remove things from your hands, that's, that's going to reduce it further. Um, and that's why hand hygiene is so important right now. As the workforce sort of goes back to the office rather than working from home, uh, the I guess the costs of cleaning in these work environments are going to increase. Now, assuming there are additional costs, who will pay for these? So the reality um, that facility managers and, and purchasers of cleaning and cleaning products have to understand is that disinfecting takes a longer dwell time than cleaning. And therefore, if you want to be disinfecting surfaces right now, even if it's spot disinfecting where there are high touch points, that is going to take longer. It's just the math. Um, so if you have to have people addressing the same surfaces um, longer, that means it will take longer amount of time for a cleaning service to complete their tasks in a building. Um, if you are purchasing additional products, of course, that's going to have an additional cost as well. So facilities are needing to weigh their, their priorities. What, what is most important to you? And a lot of them are choosing their key stakeholders, their employees, and their customers are their greatest assets. 
And um, the amount that they're increasing it does not have to be extraordinary. Um, uh, people also do not have to go out and buy completely new technology and all these wig bang um, gadgets that, that they might be seeing out there. The basics can work. They may just need to have a heightened level, which is what we call in confidence cleaning, having that, doing a risk assessment, identifying what is necessary, what is most important, what are those high touch points that might have the chance of more hands on them transferring things from one person to the next. And then how often do we feel comfortable we need to be cleaning and disinfecting those surfaces? And then there, if there is an additional cost, they're going to need to determine how they reconcile that. Um, ISSA has created some uh, tools for our members called the Value of Clean Toolkit, which walks people through, um, it's really good for salespeople, walks them through how to make a business case. If you increase your investment in cleaning by X, you have the chance of decreasing absenteeism, um, Sick, you know, sickness in the workplace, which has an impact on productivity. So you can make a return on investment business case for this, this increased investment in cleaning right now so that it can make sense to the, the key stakeholders of an organization as to why they need to spend this. What options exist to validate or legitimize cleaning services or solutions within facilities so companies can just prove that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? ISSA was fortunate that a year ago we had a group of experts join us to create a new division, which is the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council. And these are people who have spent their entire careers helping create protocols to protect people during pandemics and in other type of emergent situations or specialty cleaning situations. And so they've been working with us diligently through all of this to develop some online education, which has had more than 10,000 people go through the course to be able to say that they um, have gone through that technician training online. So that's one thing that people can do that, um, that offer cleaning services or that want to understand it's about two and a half hours, um, want to understand what they need to consider in their protocols. And then the same group also created a facility accreditation, um, which we now have people, we have almost, uh, we actually have over a thousand facilities already since May that, that are in the program from, I want to say more than 100 countries last I heard. And what this program does is it allows you to look at 20 key elements of a proper protocol uh, plan for infection prevention and cleaning and disinfection. And uh, people can go to gbac.org and take a free online readiness assessment to see where do I think I have these 20 elements. Um, and then they can proceed to, to start the process right there. And then our experts will review their protocols in those 20 areas, give them advice as to where they maybe have some gaps. And then once they meet those, then they would have that GBAC star that they can put out there both to their internal stakeholders and to their customers. Um, we also will be launching a, a GBAC star services accreditation for cleaning companies. And that is um, going to be available by end of September at the latest. So how can our industry, particularly independent dealers, get involved in this to maximize the opportunity? Right. Um, 
So customers, like I mentioned before, are currently being exposed to a tremendous amount of information and questions around COVID-19, and not all of it is accurate and helpful. Um, so really, the most important thing is educating customer decision makers, and that starts by being educated. And if we're all taking a bit of truth serum, if cleaning is a a vertical segment and not the core of your business, there's a chance that your people are maybe not as strongly educated in the ins and outs of the cleaning industry as they might be about some of your other core product lines. So the first thing is that you want to make sure that your team or at least a couple core people on your team are educated in what the cleaning customers need and what the options exist to help them understand how to handle this right now. And so, for instance, our GBAC online course would be really good for, for some of those key salespeople to take um, to know, okay, how do I answer some of the basic questions? And then you want to actually have uh, the ability to ask customers about their goals. Like, what are their goals and desired outcomes right now? Because some of them aren't quite sure, so you may need to advise them. Others, they know what they're looking for. And they have very specific needs. So rather than trying to just kind of go at it from a, we've got hand sanitizer and disinfectant, let's look at it from what exactly are you trying to accomplish? Um, and, and so I think that's one of the most important things that, that they, they can do. The other thing too is that um, because we've seen how important the role is for distributors, wholesalers, and dealers to provide that uh, level of, of information that customers are looking for right now, ISSA has created a distributor referral program where uh, distributors and dealers can actually resell some of ISSA's programs. So, and then they can um, let their customers know about the online training, for instance, and then they would receive a revenue share back from those sales through a referral code. Um, so OPI will provide some information on that for, uh, for everyone so that that way you can see if that's something that's interesting to look into. Uh, one of the things that keeps coming up and that our readership sort of mentioned when I, when I did this canvassing of opinion or of questions was the, uh, the, the issue of legislation. Do you believe we need stricter legislation in terms of claims that are made by those making sanitizers, PPE, all those products? Because the market is flooded with products such as these. And uh, what do buyers, as in the resellers, our readership, need to watch out for when sourcing these products? especially sure. if the category is new for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, first of all, so it's, it's less about legislation, more about regulation. And there are regulating bodies or registering bodies in multiple countries. And if you're, so in the EU, there is, there's some EU reg regulations um, and, and you can register products. Then, of course, like if you're in the UK or you're in Germany, there's going to be a different level um, the U.S. has um, quite an extensive registration, product registration um, process. And, and then if your country does not have that kind of regulation for cleaning and disinfecting products and equipment, you can always look to some of these other countries to see what they've done. I, I often refer to the, to the EU, the U.K., or the U.S. as examples that you can use because of their extensive lists already. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and what, what you want to do is you want to look at, um, you want to look at if, if something is regulated and then is that product registered under that regulation? Because that's an easy way to tell it has been tested, it has been validated, that it does do what it claims. 
if there's a product, for instance, I mentioned there are crossover technologies. Um, if there's a product that does not have any kind of regulation, then you want to ask a lot of questions about usage. You want to ask what study, what independent study, not internal study, was done that proves that what you have here can actually deactivate a human coronavirus. Um, because what we've done right now, oftentimes when a pandemic happens, you can't, you can't quickly uh, study um, and test products with that actual virus because it's too new and the government has to catch up with that. So what some countries have done is they've done some rapid registration processes where they say, if you can prove that your product has been effective as it needs to be with a human coronavirus that can be considered a similar substitute to what the, what the SARS-CoV-2 virus is, then you can make a claim. And we are starting to see now at this point, like for instance, um, in Australia, I know there's some products that have actually received SARS-CoV-2 registrations because they did go through the testing with the current virus. Um, but if you can't find that, then you want to ask those questions. What are your independent studies? Show me what the log reduction is. It needs to be a five or a six, depending on your country's requirements, to be a disinfectant. A log three is only sanitizing. Um, when it comes to PPE, um, the reality is, is that that's something that is a last line of defense in what industrial hygienists call the hierarchy of controls. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of governments are saying you should be wearing a mask in, in public or in certain places or, or not. And, um, and that's basically helping protect others from you. Um, so, for instance, one of the things that's come up recently is there are masks, N9, uh, N95 masks, that have an, uh, an exhale valve, essentially. And the problem is, is that if people don't have that valve shut, they could be essentially spewing their breath out, <laughs> and that's not effective. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you need to be looking at things like that. It's essentially what can create a barrier between you and others um, for the protection of both. And and there are different levels of masks. And that's a whole other thing that you can find a lot of uh, research online where it goes through what, what mask is good for what purposes. Most people in society or most people in an office that are asked to wear a mask outside their private office door when they're in the common areas are looking for something simple that can keep them from breathing on others or on surfaces. Um, and it's just one more line of defense in multiple filters that that facility should have already put in place. Um, and so uh, we just advocate ask questions, always ask questions, because that's how you're going to find if the people selling that product really know what they're talking about or not. In the early days of the pandemic, there were obviously severe shortages and disruptions in the supply chain regarding those products. Do you think that we can expect the hygiene manufacturers, uh, as well as their supply chain, to get back to normal? Also, are these manufacturers ready for a second wave of COVID-19? So the answer is yes, there was a shortage uh, in a variety of ways. There, there, there was a shortage, shortage of raw materials. I mean, ethanol is used in a lot of products in a lot of industries. And then suddenly we're ramping up hand sanitizers and other things that use it. Um, there was also a shortage of packaging in some countries where you might have somebody who was able to produce their chemical, but then they didn't have the bottles to put it in and had to get creative with their packaging um, or sprayers were in demand. 
Um, so it really has um, brought to light the fact that manufacturers need to evaluate their supply chain to make sure that they have a diverse enough um, options so that they can continue with demand. Um, and, and, and so that's caught up a bit, but, but there, there's going to be an up and down fluctuation. And in depending on where your country is in its stages of the pandemic, if you are still waiting for that full reopening, or if you, the reopenings have been fluctuating and you don't really have a full reopen society yet, there's a good chance that, that demand will spike again. Um, and with that, the reality of the supply chain is that the customers that are more regular, consistent customers will be prioritized before those who may be uh, purchased intermittently or infrequently uh, or who are just showing up for the first time. And uh, so many suppliers have gotten their chain back in line or they've increased pro production so that they can handle more demand. But there still are some specialty technologies, some specialty equipment where, say, you ordered it back in May, you might be receiving it in August. Or um, if you order it now, it might be a certain number of months before you'll be able to receive it because of backlog. Uh, so I think we're going to see some fluctuation in availability for the next, probably, say, six months yet. It will just be a little bit less uh, less emphasized than it was at the beginning of the shutdown in your country or the beginning of the spike when everyone was panic purchasing. Sure. Okay. Now for the cleaning industry and the people working in it, uh, it's been a, well, it's been an interesting time for everybody, but the cleaning industry as such has sort of practically overnight had a phenomenal rise in importance and status. So as my so final question, what needs to be done to maintain that new status quo and to keep the staff involved, motivated and rewarded for what they're doing? I mean, the first thing that we have to recognize is that um, on one hand, we've been handed an amazing opportunity, an opportunity with a social responsibility. Um, and that opportunity is that we have knowledge and solutions that can help society protect itself and hopefully regain a business normalcy. At the same time, the social responsibility is that we have to do it properly um, and we have to have a consistent leadership in, and a consistent um, education factor in what we're doing when we're talking with customers because really in a crisis is when true character comes to light and people will remember who took advantage of the situation and who really was honest about what they did and didn't know and was willing to go get the right answers and was willing to try to help figure out how to make this manageable for, for them. Um, and there's also a, a big responsibility for the cleaning, to, for the cleaning workers um, because those people are on the front lines um, trying to remove a potential virus. And so they have a higher risk. And so we need to make sure that we're protecting them, that they are properly trained um, and that they understand why they're doing what they're doing. Because um, you have a person who's switching from one chemical to another now, and this new chemical needs a dwell time of 10 minutes, let's say. Why does it have to sit there for 10 minutes? I can't tell you how many times I've seen people when I've been out and about um, where they spray a disinfectant and wipe it right up again. That actually is not effective. Um, 
And at the same time, you're seeing people spraying disinfectant all over the place without a mask on, for instance. Well, the disinfectant is effective because it's a bit harsher. Um, it's not it's, it's, it's not so harsh that we need to be, you know, super concerned uh, about a little bit. But, but the thing is, is you don't want to be inhaling that for eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, so you need to make sure that if you're using um, a bit stronger chemistry or technology, that you're protecting the people who are using it and you're making sure that they understand how to use it right for themselves and for the occupants. Um, we also should not be using, uh, we, we should, we, you have to look to see, does the product usage instruction say it can be used in an occupied room? If it says you shouldn't, don't give it to a cashier to spray in front of, uh, you know, customers in line at the grocery store. Um, so really this is a moment where responsibility is taking the front seat. Um, and what are you doing to make sure that, that the right things are happening um, the right way? And if you're doing that, then basically you are protecting people's greatest assets, their, their workers, their families, uh, their customers. And that's, and that's powerful. Uh, and that's something that we hope we can leverage to maintain some level of understanding of the impact that cleaning and disinfecting can have on society and on improving occupant health and safety. Uh, and so if we do this right, we have the chance to, to, kind of stake our flag in the stand, sand and have it stay longer than we've ever had before. Thanks, Diana. That's been loads of useful information. I certainly learned a lot. So thank you very much for your time and for answering all these very pertinent and real questions that our readers have. Um, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to OPI Talk. For a written abbreviated version of this interview with Dana Steinbach, look out for the September-October issue of OPI, where we also delve much deeper into the hugely important role that cleaning, health, hygiene, PPE and safety now plays in our industry. Or find us at opi.net for all the latest news and analysis from the business products world. You can download our app from the App Store or Google Play. Just search for OPI Magazine.